0: Hello and welcome to Care Insights with the Outstanding Society, a podcast created to share and celebrate best practice, help others to improve and learn more about the amazing career opportunities within social care. Zoe is joined by her fellow Outstanding Society Director and Operations Director of Stowe Healthcare, Ruth French, and Mei-Ling Huang, social care lawyer and partner at RWK Goodman. In this episode, we discuss duty of candor.
1: We'd like to welcome you to this episode of Care Insights with the Outstanding Society. We're going to be talking about the duty of candor today. Ruth, could I ask you to introduce yourself first of all, please? My name is Ruth French
0: and I'm a director of Stowe Healthcare. We're a family-run and owned care group and we're based in East Anglia. We have eight nursing and residential homes, four of which are now rated outstanding and I guess our USP is that we take over failed services, um, homes that have had probably quite a long history of, of failure and issues and our aim is always to turn those around and make them into outstanding services.
1: Fantastic, thank you, Ruth. And could I ask you to do the same, please, Mei-Ling?
2: Hi, um, thanks for having me. I'm Mei-Ling Huang. I'm a social care lawyer and partner at RWK Goodman. We have a team of about 20 specialist social care lawyers. My own specialty is troubleshooting and crisis management for care providers. So I often advise clients when something's gone wrong and the duty of candor might be engaged. Fantastic. Thank you. If I could
1: come and start with you, please, Ruth. As a provider, what does the duty of candour mean to you? And how could you describe it maybe to a new manager within social care?
0: Okay, so I think the duty of candour is something that in in any realm of health and social care, we all need to feel comfortable and confident about because in the world that we operate, sometimes things go wrong. And what this is about is really focusing on a general duty to be open and transparent with people receiving care from you when something does go wrong. So what I would say is there is a difference between a professional duty of candor and the statutory duty of candor. So as health and social care professionals, of course, you know, there there may be smaller things that that crop up that we might need to apologise for. But that's different from the statutory duty of candor which is about particular thresholds having to be met that trigger what we call a notifiable safety incident um, and just to be very particular about that a notifiable safety incident has to meet all three of the following criteria so that incident must have been unintended or unexpected we'll talk a little bit more about that later it must have occurred during the provision of an activity that is regulated by the Care Quality Commission. And in the opinion of a healthcare professional, it already has or might result in the deaths or severe or moderate harm, which can include psychological harm to the person receiving care. So that's a bit about the thresholds. Um, What I would say is we have to move away from the idea that saying sorry for an incident having taken place means that we are accepting liability for that and the guidance from the cqc is very clear about that often it's very likely that there's nothing that could or should have been done to stop an incident happening but that doesn't mean we can't express regret that something has happened and also most importantly look at lessons that we can learn to potentially stop something like that happening again in the future so um I I guess it's also just worth reflecting on the fact that in terms of the CQC's quality statements that came out last year, this is something that would feature under the SAFE key line of inquiry, particularly around learning culture. So if I just set that out for us, the quality statement says we have a proactive and positive culture of safety based on openness and honesty in which concerns about safety are listened to. Safety events are investigated and reported thoroughly and lessons are learned to continually identify and embed good practices. So I think that probably sets the scene for us on what duty of candour is and why it's important
1: to us. That was a really interesting insight for providers. As you say, there are some grey areas that, that we'll be discussing later on. But Mayling, can I come over to you now to provide some history around the duty of candor from a legal point of view in social care, and how th- how you've seen things change over the years, please?
2: Sure. Um, so the duty of candor was implemented in social care in twenty fifteen, and it's found in Regulation twenty. Um, it, to, it for the, for those of you with services in Wales, it hasn't yet been implemented in Wales, but will be implemented. Uh, in 2023 for NHS, the NHS and in April 2024 for private providers. So watch this space. Um, the, the background's quite interesting. It actually arose out of cases where there, there, were, there was a lack of transparency behind what happened to patients. So the first case that is usually mentioned was that of a 10-year-old boy called Robbie Powell who had Addison's disease, and he died very sadly in 1990 due to medical negligence. And his father, his parents have told the story quite powerfully of how the doctors who were in charge of his care falsified his medical records and managed to evade liability for his death. So Robbie's parents pursued the case through the courts all the way to the European Court of Human Rights. And unfortunately for them, uh, the European Court said that the law at the time was that doctors had no duty to give parents of a child who died as a result of their negligence, a truthful account of the circumstances of the death, nor even to refrain from deliberately falsifying records. So I think we'll probably all agree that that is really shocking set of circumstances, Um, the good news is that this sad case started the ball rolling on a move towards more transparency. And in 1998, the GMC changed its guidelines to ensure that doctors were aware of their obligation to tell people the truth. And that's what Ruth was alluding to previously and what CQC referred to as the professional duty of candor. Um, The other thing that prompted the duty of candor to be made into law, um, as it is in regulation 20, was the mid-staff scandal. So that was a situation where many people may have died as the result of poor care at Stafford Hospital, and there was an inquiry afterwards called the Francis Inquiry that found that there had been a defensive attitude and a culture of secrecy at that hospital, and patients and families had raised concerns but they weren't taken seriously and everything was just kind of brushed under the carpet. So following on from the, the, the Francis inquiry into, into mid-staffs, the statutory duty of candor was created. And um, you know I can remember, historically, I can remember when it was implemented for social care. And I can remember being concerned about the fact that it might affect providers' liability for incidents uh, because it, it sort of potentially created this sort of conflict um, between being <laughs> sort of defending yourself, but also being candid about things because it requires this apology. Um, And as Ruth has said, eventually um, there was clarification and it was decided uh, that an apology would not constitute an admission of liability, which then made it easier for providers to be able to, you know, breathe a sigh of relief and and actually comply with the duty of candor without fear of repercussions. we talked about already the professional duty of candor, which is the the, the the thing required by professional ethics and governed by bodies like the GMC and NMC. Then there's the statutory duty of candor, which is set out in um, regulation 20. And that requires you to take a certain number of steps when there's a notifiable safety incident. I think that uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit further uh, going forward, but I, I would like to focus more on the creation of a positive culture and how the duty of candor can actually help people move towards more outstanding practice. Fantastic.
1: Th- thank you very much for that oversight as well. And and I want to come back to you, Ruth, because we said about grey areas, um, and I know we, with the regulations changing last year, um, you were still confused about, as a provider, about what it actually meant could you tell us about the responses that you got from CQC and maybe give us some examples of actually how you could clarify what what that actually means in practice?
0: Yeah I think the wording that had always left me a little bit unsure was the first of those three criteria that had to be met which was that a notifiable safety incident must have been unintended or um, unexpected. Well Of course, the truth is it would probably be quite unusual for something that's gone wrong not to have or to have been expected or to have been intended. And this always confused me. Well, clearly, I wasn't the only person who was confused by this because some consultation did happen around this wording, and CQC altered their guidance and reissued it last year. So in June last year, they updated that guidance to clarify how the term unexpected or unintended should be applied to decide if something actually qualified for that notable safety incident or not. Um, And what CQC have said around this is that the interpretation around those words unexpected or unintended um, should, should be an incident that arises during the course of a regulated activity rather than being the outcome of the incident. Well, what does all of that mean? Because what I was looking at was, um, for example, um, someone in one of our care homes who mobilized independently, in accordance with their care plan, had capacity, um, was walking around their room as they normally did, and they fell and they fractured their hip. So I'm thinking, well, Obviously, we didn't intend or we didn't expect them to fall, and it felt like all of the other thresholds had also been met. So, in the past, I would have reported that as a duty of candor incident and would have gone through all of those appropriate steps and processes that we'll talk about in a moment. However, I just thought I think I need to seek some further clarification from CQC around this because I don't. Know if this really counts or not. Um, And actually, the advice that came back from CQC was really helpful in this context. Um, And although I think it's absolutely right to say you have to judge every single incident on its merits, you do have to examine this very closely. You cannot just say, well, person A fell and we didn't report it, therefore we won't report person B either, because the circumstances around that might be quite different. Um, But the advice that I received was that this incident was unlikely to meet the criteria for a statutory duty of candour and that's because there was nothing in this case to to indicate that something happened in the course of care and treatment that was unintended or unexpected. So because this person had capacity it was clearly set out in their care plan that their goal was to be able to mobilise freely and independently, whether that was in their room, whether it was in the communal areas or grounds of the home. It was very clear that staff were not expected to be there to support them. They had any appropriate walking aids that they needed. And therefore, the care plan was being clearly followed. The goals of the, um, the person we cared for were clearly set out. So although a fall happened to them, it was not an adverse incident in the way it might have been treated in another set of events. So hopefully that gives an example of how the guidance has tried to be clarified a bit. And I suspect for us, it will mean that um, reporting may reduce a bit in the future because we've had two or three incidents like that in the past where I would have just reported it because harm occurred. um, And the other thresholds were also met. Um, But reviewing things afresh now, I would probably just take a little bit more time to look at the circumstances in more detail.
1: Fantastic. Thank you for that, Ruth. And and if you don't mind, I'd like to, to, to stay with you for a minute. In terms of evidence, what would you advise providers? Because, would you would you evidence that somehow in terms of we've considered whether this was um, reportable um, under duty of candor? And how would you show that to the CQC to show that you've actually thought about it?
0: So what we do is um, and this is something we've really been focusing on over the last couple of years. I think it is very important that everyone in um the senior management team understands what their obligations are under the statutory duty of candor, And it can, on the face of it, seem quite complex. Um, I don't think it is when you when you really get into it, but it may be helpful to think about whether any training is needed for the team around that. Um, what we have felt has been really helpful is just having complete transparency around this. So we discuss any potential duty of candor incidents every single week at our weekly management meeting because I don't want anything to kind of slip under that could potentially trigger this so we talk about uh, in our weekly meetings any safeguardings that have arisen and in, in that meeting we will look at is there anything in that safeguarding that we've reported that could potentially trigger duty of candor and that gives us the chance to discuss that openly because what I don't want to do is find out a month down the line that an incident has occurred that I wasn't aware of and you know we're we're a provider now with eight homes so I may not be aware of everything on the day that it happens but let's deal with that as soon as we can to make sure that we are following all of the appropriate processes. Do make sure that you've got a policy in place that sets out for your team Process that has to be followed if a potential duty of candor incident happens. So make sure you've you've looked at the CQC guidance, you've reflected that in your policy. I've also found it really helpful to have template letters in there because we like to ensure that if we are commencing an investigation, that the person concerned and/or their next of kin is aware of that and we are looking to see whether it meets the criteria for um, a statutory duty of candor process um, and to help them understand what that investigation will comprise of and what part they can play in that and then we also have a template letter that can go to go out to them afterwards to say what our findings are so I think we need to do as much as we can to help our management teams to make sure that they've got the tools in place to conduct this process professionally and thoroughly Um, So we've got training, we've got policies, um, we've got template letters, think about what an investigation needs to comprise of, um, because it isn't just about what that person's care plan suggested, there might be other things that you want to look at in terms of an investigation, it might be medication records, it might be a call bell audit, There might be lots of things that you want to look at, statements from staff about what happened at the time, your accident and incident reporting. So think about all of those elements and how you can pull that into a really solid investigation. Because sometimes that you might reflect on that and say we couldn't have done anything differently. But another time you might look at it and say there are definite lessons we can take away from that. And as Mei Ling said earlier, it's all about a constant culture of openness transparency learning from when things go wrong because people shouldn't be afraid of admitting when things have gone wrong i think what's most important and in my experience what um, the cqc want to see is the lessons we've learned from that how we've shared those with our teams and if you can reflect that appropriately record it so um you know, you're able to show your inspectors what you've taken forward from that incident. Um, That's really important. And then finally, what I would say is, just think about how you present all of that paperwork. So for our services, we've chosen to have a specific duty of candor folder in every home. We log all of our incidents in the same way that we would log a complaint or compliments or anything else that we're dealing with um, and put all of the paperwork relating to that together letters you've sent, investigations, staff statements, accident reports, anything like that. I think it's really helpful. It shows um, that you're on top of things. It shows that you're professional and it shows you've got that real commitment to improving your service continuously.
1: Fantastic. Thank you very much ruth. and And I'd like to come back to you now, mailing, please. I know that we've heard heard from Ruth about actually what what might not be reportable, but could you give us some examples of of what you would expect to be reported to the CQC and the trends that we're seeing within the CQC at the moment, please?
2: Sure. Um, well, i th- I think that uh, it can be difficult to determine. What is reportable and what isn't reportable? And if you're in doubt, do have a good hard think about it. But also, you can always ask, right? You can always ask CQC whether whether they think this is something that needs to be reportable or not. I have seen them get that wrong previously. In the first instance, they've got it, they've got it wrong, um, and and then they've come back later and said no, it is reportable. So even they don't always know, you know, what the answer is. Um, in terms of examples, well, I just did want to give one example um, about how the duty of candor can actually be used quite effectively. Um, I've advised, usually the, using the duty of can, candor in a positive way is something that can help calm a situation down. And if you think about putting yourself in the shoes of the family if something's gone wrong, I've advised providers in situations where the first volley from the family is to. A very emotional. We're going straight to the press, and you think, "Oh no!" <laughs> um, so you need to respond to that kind of heightened emotion in a way that will diffuse their anger, their anxiety, their upset, and telling them what happened in a transparent and empathetic way, coupled with a a proper, real apology, a heartfelt apology, usually does help to start to calm that down, and and if that you know that. The reverse of that is defensiveness and closing ranks that will just add fuel to the fire in in that sort of situation. So that's one sort of practical aspect. The other practical aspect, uh, I I just wanted to sort of chime in and agree with what Ruth was saying about the way to conduct things. It sounds like Ruth's got it all covered and thought it all through, which is terrific. But I I think, you know, it, it it aligns with my advice to people about safeguarding inquiries. So that'll be part and parcel of this usually. When you have a safeguarding incident, which can trigger the duty of candor, it's best to carry out your own very thorough investigation if you can. That's what I say to do. Make a full chronology, get all the paperwork together as Ruth says. She's, She's saying to put it in a duty of candor folder. I think, yeah, the same would be true for a safeguarding folder and then explain as early as you can in the process, potentially at the planning meeting, what has happened that makes the job of the safeguarding team easier and it makes them less likely to not believe you, you know, start to go for you, um, which can happen if you're defensive or if you fail um, to provide them with useful information. Um, I think you know, there are also some things to be avoided. Um, In the last couple of years, we've seen a couple of prosecutions of healthcare providers relating to the failure to comply with the duty of candor. We've seen some fixed penalty notices. So in other words, CQC issuing fines for for a failure to comply with the duty of candor. And that's where what Ruth was saying about having oversight of that becomes very important because you don't want it to slip through the net. So it, it may not be that you were purposefully trying to be opaque about the situation, but it may have just slipped your notice that you should have written that letter and had that conversation and given that apology. So, you know, to be more positive about it, I think if you were a provider or manager who's striving to become more outstanding, I would I would try to look at the positives that can be achieved. So if you think about what's important in an organization, There are a couple of things that are key, usually both internally and externally. And I I would say those are trust and credibility. So when you're dealing with a family or a member of staff or a regulator or a commissioner or a safeguarding team, anybody, you want to establish trust between you and them and all of your interactions will be better if they trust you. So that means that your truthfulness, your credibility needs to be kind of knitted into the fabric of your organization. So in my own organization, I run a team of lawyers and we talk a lot about the importance of being able to speak up when you've made a mistake because everybody makes them. And I also count on my people to tell me when something's starting to go wrong as soon as possible so that we can fix it. And and building trust within a team knows me, you know, it's the, the result of that is that you as a leader end up really knowing what's going on. So you need to build trust within your team and you also need to build trust with external people because it underpins those relationships as well. Um, One other practical thing, which uh, I think could be used quite positively, which some social care people may not know as much about, is that um, in the NHS uh, there is often somebody called a freedom to speak up guardian and the NHS has a freedom to speak up policy you may not it's particularly if you're a smaller provider you may not need to go to such formal lengths but i think it's good to have think about how you can promote that freedom to speak up within your organization and usually that comes down to the manager and the provider and how they deal with mistakes and how they deal with people you know when they when they come forward if people are too scared to come forward, then they won't do it. I, I, I will I will steal an example from uh, a, a leadership book that I was reading the other day by a guy called John Amiche, who who talked about President Trump coming out of Air Force One, trailing a piece of uh, toilet paper on his shoe. And all these people were around him. There were about 12 people around him, Secret Services, Secretaries, you know, whoever. And nobody told him. And he comes waltzing out and he's got this piece of toilet paper, you know, trailing from his shoe and all the world's cameras are on him. and Nobody told him that w- is what you want to avoid. That to me is a, you know, that's a culture of fear, right? That's a, potentially or, or you know, maybe just may- maybe just the case that they didn't like him. But um, nobody bothered to tell him. So, you know, that, that's a sort of comic example, I suppose. But what we want is we want people to say, oh, by the way, you know, there is this issue right and 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 that will sort of strengthen you and strengthen your presentation to everybody and your relationships. fantastic. Th- thanks, mailing. and i th- I think I'll always remember
1: that now. and um and ruth, i'm 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 sure if you had a bit of toilet paper on your shoe, I'm sure that your teams would, would would tell you. And I think that's that's such an important point actually, about about the culture and it not being a blame culture. and And Ruth, could I ask you, how do you, how do you promote that within your organisation? Because we do want people to be open, honest and transparent and feel comfortable with coming forward. So how do you make that a priority within your organisation?
0: I always think it's very much about um, that positive leadership that is very visible in your home. And um, it's around people knowing what your standards and expectations are when you're not in the room they still know how you would want it done they still know what the expectations are and that feeling that you don't you shouldn't have to be there all of the time watching over people if you've instilled that confidence in your team to be able to put their hand up when things go wrong because they know that they'll be listened to and they know that you want to do something positive to make sure that things can't go wrong um, the next time so yeah I guess it's how to influence the room when you're not in the room think about making sure that your culture and values are shared throughout your team and that your staff are really embodying what your organization's morals ethics values are
1: Fantastic. Thank, thank you, Ruth. And if I could ask you, Ruth, to, just to just to finish up from your point of view around, if you were to advise a provider what to do if they thought, actually, our team isn't aware of the duty of candour, what, what would you advise them? What would that be their starting point?
0: I don't think you need to overcomplicate this. You know, not every single member of your team needs to know every word of the CQC's guidance on the duty of candour. I think it's really helpful for people to understand what candor is um, the principles of being open and transparent um, around the smallest things because we're, we're not we're not dealing with the biggest things every day it's the smallest things and making sure that people feel confident to admit if they've done something wrong even if if that was I was supposed to go and do a turn on that person and I was an hour late you know that's It's just about making sure that we get the small things right so that if a big thing does happen, people have still got the confidence then to um, be able to deal with that properly. So don't overcomplicate it for your team. If you're the home manager or if you're the provider, you need to know what your duties are. Just try and instill the values in your team of being able to um, be open, transparent, honest with those that you are caring for. And their loved ones, and then I think you'll be on the right track.
1: Fantastic, thank you, Ruth. And mailing, if I can come to you, what would you advise somebody to do if they were thinking we don't know whether this is notifiable or not?
2: What would you advise them to do in that situation? Well, I think the first thing is read the guidance um, because it is quite long, and it's actually it's it's it's, it's actually improved, I think, to to some degree. Um, and and then I would. Uh, also just ask cqc what their advice is and as i said earlier they they don't always get it right um and then if if there isn't a clear answer i would probably go ahead and do it anyway because it's not it, there's no harm in it really if if um if you over report to to a small degree i don't i'm you know i'm not advocating reporting everything all the time which is what some people do because they become afraid that they're going to get whacked if they don't do that but i but i do think if in doubt probably do it and that's a safer route and it has other benefits as well as we've discussed with you know creating a better relationship with the the person concerned the family members and other people outside of your organization and um yeah i think it it it, it shows uh it, it also demonstrates your leadership in that respect as um, ruth was saying you know that people need to know what's expected you want You want people in your organization to understand the ethics that underpin the reasons that underpin this um, more, more probably than the specific rules, you know, the rigid, you can always read the rules, but you've got to sort of internalize the the ethos behind this and that will serve you really well in terms of developing your organization into one where people work together trust each other and, and um you know are are upfront and honest about things and that's what you want to see i think
1: fantastic a huge thank you to ruth french and and, and mailing wrong for for joining us on um caring sites with the outstanding society to talk about the duty of candle many thanks thank you The
0: Outstanding Society is a community interest company. It's free to join and is open to everyone. You don't need to have an outstanding rating to be a member.